You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and I am here with my friend Lindsay Ertz. She is with KSL News Radio on The Mom Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I'm excited to chat with you. Yes. Um, So for everybody, just really quick, for everybody that doesn't know what The Mom Show is, do you want to just give us a quick blurt on that and we'll kind of touch base on the details of it later, but... Who doesn't know what the mom show is? Let's be honest. No, everyone I know does. (laughs) Kind of a big deal. (laughs) Right. So I work for KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City. It's a news radio station, news talk radio station. And uh, part of the radio includes uh, some podcasting, some digital podcasts. So I host uh, actually a show that airs on the radio on Sundays at 10 a.m., and that show is called The Mom Show, and then it also exists wherever you podcast, so you just search for KSL Moms, and every week we just talk about a different topic that affects motherhood or womanhood or just issues that I find interesting. I love it. Um, so let's talk about you being a mom, your journey of becoming a mom. What did that look like for you? Did you always want to be a mom? Did you have struggles becoming a mom? How'd that start out? So I knew I always wanted to have children, but it was always under the like umbrella of that's just what you do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get married, you have kids. Mm-hmm. Like that's what people do. Um, and I did, I sort of described my transition into motherhood as rocky because I did experience the postpartum mood disorder after Lucy, my first, who's now five. When she was born, um, it was about three months after she was born. And um, I think that's a large part, probably the largest part about why I describe that transition as so rocky is because I'm a first time mom with zero experience caring for a human being. I didn't have, uh, I'm the first sibling in my family of um, four children who had kids. So I didn't have, like, sisters before me showing me the the dirty side of motherhood, if you will, right? Like, yeah, the real <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah, the real side, the sleepless nights and the, the caring for and the taking care of mm-hmm. the children. Um, and so it's not to say that I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware it was going to be hard work, but I don't think I really grasped how much work it was going to be and what that work looked like and where it would take tolls on me the most you know Mm -hmm. I just frankly I just saw everyone around me loving motherhood I just saw them you know nobody I mean I'm sure people complained about motherhood but it didn't resonate with me right I didn't I didn't understand that motherhood was as hard as it was right I just saw people lovingly post their children on Facebook and I saw women at church just you know this was their calling in life and this is what they were born to do and I was just like this is really hard and I don't really feel fulfilled by it. And I feel really broken because of that. Did you feel that way? Like when did you start recognizing you were feeling that way? Was it like right away? You said a few months, 
When did it yeah, really? So, well, I, I didn't start experiencing postpartum anxiety and OCD until about three months postpartum. And so I think right after Lucy was born, before that, that the intrusive thoughts really kicked in about three months. And that's kind of where the crux, those were the crux of the symptoms. And that's where the real mood disorder took over. But in those first three months, I was just kind of operating from this is what you're supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like care for your baby, women feed their baby, (laughs) you're supposed to nurse, you're supposed to breastfeed, right? It was just kind of all these like supposed to's, right? Of I didn't know any different. I just thought this is what women did. And um, so all of that was, was hard, but I just kind of, I guess I just wasn't completely woke, if you will, for lack of a better word, to it could be my own way and I could do it my own way. I kind of fell into the box of this is what's what people do. This is what women do. And in my mind, I had the belief of this is what good women do, right? And good mothers do. Yep. Because if you don't, then you're not. Right. Exactly. And then comes the even more intrusive thoughts of guilt and shame. and Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so what would you say, when did you, remind me how many kids you have, two or th- two or three? I have, I have two kids now. Um, Lucy was, Lucy's five and then my baby is, uh, just turned one. Okay. So you waited a few years. Did yeah, you I waited intentionally wait? Were you yes. traumatized? When did you, so what does it look like for you between Lucy and your youngest? Yeah. As far as did you go to the doctors? Like what? What ha- what's in between there? Yeah, so when I started really having postpartum anxiety, it was again at the three months postpartum after Lucy was born. So this is now f- over five years ago. I feel very removed from the situation now, but mm-hmm. for a long while, you know, it it consumed me. Um, and again, those, those scary intrusive thoughts, harm coming to my baby, sometimes at my own hand were bombarding me out of nowhere they I kind of describe them like I don't I don't like using the word visions because it makes you feel crazy right but they're almost like images right that pop into your head of harm coming to your baby and you you almost picture yourself doing it it can take the form of like what if I just drop the baby down the stairs or it can take the form of like what if I pick up this thing and do this thing I'm going to be a little bit censored for vulnerable women who are listening, but um, I was having those thoughts. And as a first time mom, I'm like, what is happening to me? I, I, I was convinced I was going crazy. And obviously hindsight being 2020, I now know that those thoughts are intrusive and that sort of, I have this anxious brain, right. And the obsession sort of took over and all of that was completely normal But at the time, I just thought, what kind of person, what kind of mother has these thoughts about her child and just insert all the shame. And I can remember one day going to a radio remote broadcast. So at the time, I'm working for a music radio station, and it's literally my job to get on the air and talk for a living. And I had to do a live broadcast, and I can just remember feeling like a shell of myself and just trying to kind of like dip my pinky toe in like, is this okay to feel kind of way, you know, Mm -hmm. like trying to reach out to some people who like could maybe give me some validation. Like, is it okay? I feel this way. But 
you know, I can just remember so vividly being at that remote and having these intrusive thoughts and just feeling so depressed about them, right? Anxious that they're happening and depressed that that you're having them, <laughs> again, yeah. that you're having them. So, yeah, it was, uh, I didn't know what was happening. And um, I wanted a pill to take them all away because that would just be magical. And pills helped, but they don't just take it away. <laughs> but um, I, I remember at one point saying to my husband, you need to take me to the hospital because I'm not okay. Like, I, I need some morphine or something. Like, I need this to stop. Like, I felt like I was going crazy. I wanted to, like, crawl out of my skin, yeah. right? I know oh, you yeah. know this feeling because you and I have talked about this. <laughs> but kind of trying to describe it to someone who's never experienced it, that's kind of the best way I can describe it. You're just, you're preoccupied by these thoughts. You're terrified that they're going to keep coming. You don't know why they're happening. You can't stop them. And the harder you try to stop them, the more they come. And, and I can't remember even like laying in a, like in my mom, I had my mom come out. My mom, I'm from Maine originally. And I had, I, I, I got in to see a therapist I got in to see my OB. They prescribed me some medication, sent me on my way as they typically do, right? Yep. And then <laughs> um, I got in to see a therapist and she kind of confirmed what was happening to me. And so that was the validation, but I continued to have, you know, all the intrusive thoughts. And my mom came to town because I'm like, look, I'm not okay. I need, I need help here. I need, I need extra hands. I need support. How old is so, Lucy at this point? Uh, this was, this was still within that three month period. Oh, wow. I know you asked what happened between five and my one year old. Yeah. No, no, you're <laughs> good. This is great. The, the long way about you're how fine. I got there. But this is all within this, you know, the three months postpartum to, you know, within that first, like realizing I had the postpartum mood and anxiety disorder. Right. Um, so my mom came out. I can just remember I had to go in a room, close the door, be alone, and just, like, let the thoughts rage, right? Because they felt so, like, monstrous in my head. And at the time, I didn't have the tools to know that they were just thoughts and they weren't going to hurt me. And I wasn't going to hurt my baby, but I just felt they were so vivid. I felt capable of them. I'm like, if I'm capable of having these thoughts, how am I not capable of acting on them? And I was like, what if I'm so tired that I just snap and I just do the things I'm thinking? And that was kind of the panic and the worry that kind of consumed me for a while. So, again, that's the realizing I had the postpartum mood disorder. And I'm sure you're going to ask me at some point about the healing and all that. So I'll skip over that part just to answer your question eventually. <laughs> yes, it took me a long time to get to the point where I wanted to have a second kid. I always wanted to um, because I, I just didn't feel like my family was complete at one. I really wanted a sibling. Um, and I know you have one child, and that's not to say that you're doing it wrong in any sort of oh, way no. or anyone with one child. To each their own, yeah. <laughs> doing it wrong, per se. It's just I really wanted a sibling for my child. I really actually still want to have more children, but it's so hard for me. <laughs> like motherhood is so hard for me that I don't know if I can handle more. And that, that thought still kind of makes me a little bit sad and depressed because I don't know why it's so hard for me. I think it's hard for everyone, but for some reason <laughs> it feels really hard for me. Although I'm 
I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure, on that one. But, um, yeah, I just, I knew I always wanted to have a second one. So it was kind of like, I felt like the recovery eventually just kind of became, okay, the decision to have a second one will be when I feel like I'm, I'm in a place where I could handle having another postpartum mood disorder. Yeah. Because that's the decision I had to come to when it was deciding whether or not to have another kid. Of course, I wanted to add to my family. Of course, I wanted this sibling for my child. But if this happens to me again, can I handle it? And I eventually had to get to the point where I, I knew that I could get through it again to be able to have a second one because I knew I was at an increased risk. Yeah. Yeah. You are brave. And I love that you were just like, motherhood is hard for me. <laughs> I wish that more people would have said that. Like, just get real with it, you know? Yeah. Ugh, man. Well, I know. I think about that a lot. And, you know, sometimes I still feel kind of broken for feeling like it's so hard. Mm -hmm. um, but telling myself that I'm broken for it being hard just adds to feeling broken. Right. It doesn't do me any favors. It doesn't help me in any sort of way. So I have been able to settle into enjoying motherhood a little bit more, especially um, as I've gotten away from that, that postpartum mood disorder. And I didn't experience it with my second. Um, I did not. No. And everyone asked me, I think that's everyone's first question when they found out I was, because I was very, I am very vocal about the postpartum mood disorder, as are you, right? Because I believe it needs to be normalized and women are suffering in silence. And I really want to be, um, you know, a voice for women who um, are having a hard time in motherhood. Right. So yeah, everyone was asking me about whether or not I suffered the second time around. And while I did not experience the, symptoms the way I did after Lucy was born I had some of the same scary intrusive thoughts after Oliver was born but what I didn't do was panic <laughs> about them right mm -hmm. and that's not to say that anyone who suffers multiple times right is doing something wrong right but it is just to say that the education and awareness and the tools that I had from the first experience allowed me not to build on top of, you know, the, the worry and the fear and the intrusive thoughts that I had the first time around. I knew what they were. I knew what to do with them. I knew how to allow them. I knew they weren't going to hurt me. I hated that I was having them and I felt, you know, anxious at times and I felt, um, crazy at times, but, I, I never got to the point where I felt like this is interfering with my functioning. Mm -hmm. And that's just the biggest message from, for my experience is that education and awareness, while it can't prevent your suffering, because we know there are many more issues hormonally and psychologically and, and physiologically, right. Mm -hmm. That, that happened to a woman postpartum education and awareness can just kind of help to, to give you those tools to maybe lessen the suffering or even, you know, help it the next time around, right? It, it certainly can't prevent it, but uh, it, it might be able to just help you cope a little bit. And I, I don't know to this day, you know, whether, you know, I know we tell women all the time, like, this isn't your fault, right? Like, you're not at fault for having a mood disorder, but 
did I cause it? You know, did I, did the way my brain work at the time exacerbate these thoughts? Was it the circumstances I was in or was it the hormones that just went out of whack and that just happens to me after I have a baby? Or was it a combination of all the things, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Was it the chicken or the egg? Yeah. I don't know. That's so (laughs) true. I still don't know to this day. It doesn't really matter. The point is the education and awareness that I gained through the advocacy and the talking about it that I did, um, you know, really lessened my suffering the second time around. I just knew what to do with it. Yeah. That's why I continue to be an advocate and talk about it because if that can help me, then that can help other women. Absolutely. What would you say are some of those tools and things that you even do right now What are some tools that helped you to get out of the funk of it um, prior to having your second? And then even right now, like, what are some of the tools for the moms out there that you can give them to assist them in in maintaining a healthy mindset while you're navigating this? So I would say this is going to sound a little bit woo-woo, but this is honestly one of the biggest things for me is paying attention to the thoughts that I'm having and not believing any of my thoughts until I choose to believe them. Does that make sense? Yes. So questioning all of my thoughts, right? So when I was in the postpartum period, I didn't know this, right? But the intrusive thoughts are just that. They're thoughts. They don't mean anything until I give them meaning, till I believe them, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that's something that I still practice to this day because we all have these thoughts like, you know, I'm not good enough. What if I'm doing this wrong? You'd be a sociopath if you didn't have these thoughts, right? They <laughs> actually are a very good thing, right? But I don't, um, I try not to give them stock until I want to give them stock, right? And that's just something that helps me kind of be the watcher of my thoughts and be curious about them. Like, yeah, isn't that interesting? I thought about that about my baby. Huh, that's interesting. I wonder why I thought that. And that doesn't have to mean anything, right? And I kind of just let it blow by. It's it's like if I had known that at the time, I mean, I don't know how I would have known that, right? I had to go through the experience to actually learn that, get into therapy to learn those tools. I now work with a life coach that teaches those things um and it's kind of along the same lines it parallels cognitive behavioral therapy but just really helps me you know again pay attention to that thinking and that's kind of like it's hard to do because it takes effort right to pay attention to your thinking a lot of the times we just have thoughts running and going and we're not paying attention to them until we feel something Mm -hmm. right and then we're like oh I feel crappy what why am I feeling this way and it's always because of your thoughts, but you don't always realize the thoughts you're having, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, that's a, a technique I can kind of use now that I'm in, uh, I hate to say, of sound mind, right? But I'm yeah. <laughs> in a place where I can I can do that. When I was in the postpartum period, I was feeling too anxious and suffering too bad to really know how to do that, mm-hmm. right? And when I was in that period, I would say it, it was mostly about managing the anxiety. So allowing the anxiety, feeling the anxiety, not trying to avoid the anxiety mm-hmm. because I realized through this whole process, as you kind of peel back the layers of the onion, right, under what you're thinking, that I didn't really grow up in a household that fostered a lot of feeling of emotion. And I tend to skew towards the don't feel 
conceal to take a line from Frozen. <laughs> um, the conceal don't feel camp, right? Yeah. And uh, I just didn't know how to process emotion. I didn't know how to feel it. I still kind of struggle with when I feel negatively what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant work and probably always will be. So that's just kind of how I manage it now. I think there's just different um, techniques for when you're in the postpartum period and suffering as opposed to once you get out of it and are able to then kind of, again, peel back those onion layers and work on some of the deeper things that might be troubling you. Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about, at least for me, and we've talked about this, but like, you know, you get postpartum and you, you work through that and you navigate through that, but then you realize there might be a lot more trauma from child childhood or whatever that that resurfaces right. that my experience didn't heal until I healed that. You know? Right. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, it goes back to that question of what are you believing? What are you perceiving and believing? Mm-hmm. Right. And is it true? I just love that question. Is it true? Is it true that you are a failure? Is it true that you suck at motherhood? Is it true? Like really question that. Right. Cause when you say, you say, I, I feel like a failure as a mom. First of all, that's a thought, not a feeling, mm-hmm. right? That's, yep. that's your brain telling you you suck as a mom. Do you really suck as a mom? If you really sucked as a mom, you wouldn't have fed your kids today. You wouldn't have take put a roof over their head. You wouldn't have loved on them in some way that you did, even if you yelled a lot today, right? <laughs> I just I feel like you know our brain offers these has these expectations of what you know, motherhood is supposed to look like and offers us all these things. And then when you really question what it looks like to be a good mom, you're often comparing yourself to an ideal that doesn't really exist. It's so true. Just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. It's so true. Um, so where you're at now, tell us how you kind of got into the mom show and, and where you're at with that. Yeah. So, um, about, again, this all kind of happened around the same time I had the postpartum mood disorder. I got fired from my radio job at the time, and I'm not sure whether the mood disorder had anything to do with that, but <laughs> if it did, that's illegal. Um, so, um, hang on, I'm going to grab a phone charger while I answer this. Um so, yeah, I was let go from that job, and at the time I was like, okay, well, let me try my hand at this stay-at-home mom life because, again, that was kind of one of those, should I be doing, is that where I, I should be? I have a kid now. Like, what is it? Look, I always wanted to work full-time. I'd always planned to go back to work full-time, and then I had the kid, and I, the kid, like my daughter, <laughs> I had her, and I was like oh man, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. How do women go to work eight hours a day and then come home and do all the things that is required of motherhood and the feeding and the putting to bed and the just all the things felt so overwhelming. And so I was like, when I got let go, I was kind of like, okay, this is a good opportunity for me to kind of stay home for a minute. I was able to financially with what my husband did and I tried my hand at that for a little while. I spent, I don't know, a year or so doing that. And I just struggled through it the entire time. 
I really struggled being a stay-at-home mom. And I, I continued to stay home for the next four years, so a total of five years. And I just could never get to the point where I was fulfilled by it, right? And I tried, tried so hard to love it. I tried so hard to be like, okay, this is, this is good, right? I should be with my kid. I should want to, right? All those shoulds. I should be with my kid. I should want to be with her, right? I should want to take care of her. And, and I did, but I also felt unfulfilled and like, uh, again, this is not to say that anyone else who's staying home is doing this. It's just to say, I felt like I wasn't doing anything with my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I kind of dipped my toe back in, in radio a little bit, just through, um, I was looking, I was looking for a job that I could maybe do on the weekends because I had childcare on the weekends in the form of husband who's a parent. Um, but right. I had someone to watch her right during the week. I had to find somebody to watch her, um, because my husband worked full time. So, um, I was like, okay, a job I could do on the weekends could just help me maybe feel a little bit more fulfilled. And then um, I found a position, a posting for a weekend radio host at KSL. And I was like, cool, let me look into this. Sent an email to the program director, who's now my boss, and um, kind of pitched him the idea for the mom show. And what's interesting is I don't even remember having this like grand epiphany, like I have this idea for a show and I'm going to make it a thing. It was just kind of like a one-off email where I was like, hey, what if we talk about motherhood? And and because I had a radio background, you know, I um, have been a, a music jock for 15 years. I knew the sales industry and how they made money from radio and, and advertising and how that worked. And so I kind of pitched him on the way sponsorships and or advertising could get tied in to the mom show. And I think so it kind of sold him on, okay, she understands the industry and knows this isn't just, you know, a, just a fun gig to have, right? Mm-hmm. So... They brought me on as a part-time, an on-call employee. And so uh, I continued to be an on-call employee for them for, must have been two or three years. And and then as I'm, so they kind of trained me on being a reporter. They trained me on being an anchor, trained me on the systems they use there. And... um, and because I, I do have a broadcast journalism degree, but I was never a journalist. I didn't, uh, I didn't really get into it to be a reporter per se. I got into it to, because it was the closest thing I was doing to radio at the time. I was already working in radio in college. And so I just picked broadcast journalism because it was the closest thing to radio that I was already doing. <laughs> I won't advise that for my child, but it's worked out great because now I have the broadcast journalism degree and I'm reporting and, um, and, and really using those skills at KSL. So anyways, the on-call employee lasted for a long time and I pieced together my child care for the entire time. It was just getting so overwhelming. So finally, I, I kind of hounded them for a more consistent schedule and they finally essentially created a position for me, which is what I'm doing now, which is covering elections for the afternoon news. So I now report on things of the 2020 nature of elections. <laughs> so 
Yeah, and then I started the mom show as an on-call employee and just kind of did it once a week. I could do it whenever I wanted as long as it got on the radio by Sunday at 10 a.m., right? Yeah. It, it, so it worked great for the flexibility of my schedule. I could kind of hodgepodge together the childcare, go into work a few days here and there. It, it was never consistent. And then I would cover shifts either as a reporter or um, like a midday. I would do midday newscasts and stuff, cover whenever I could. And I just pieced together and hodgepodge the childcare through. My mother-in-law didn't work for a long time, and I had some friends from my um, church community who were stay-at-home moms who could take uh, my kids every once in a while. And I just got over asking for help. I just was like, I have to ask because I don't have any other options. <laughs> so, yeah, I just kind of hodgepodge it together for a good three to four years. And now I have a consistent schedule with a part-time nanny, and I love it so much. And I've never been more fulfilled in what I do and with motherhood. And it was only until I stopped trying to fit in the box of what I thought everyone else, what I was supposed to do, and actually decided that what I wanted was what I was what was best for me and my family and I did that that I now feel very much fulfilled by what I've got going on that's amazing what would you say is the hardest part of doing the mom show I would say the hardest part is well I'm going to say two things one is constantly having to come up with content, not because there's a lack of content per se, but just coming up with a topic that I think I can execute, um, you know, effectively. And really, it's just a function of not wanting to prep as much as I have to. So a topic I can just spitball on. Like, I can talk postpartum mood disorders all day, every day. <laughs> Like this week, I'm talking about ratifying the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, and that's taken a lot more effort and work to prep and, and study and learn, and that makes me sound really lazy, but I mean, I don't fault myself for that. We're all kind of trying to conserve energy yeah. in a way. So anyways, just kind of coming up with that to those topics and, and challenging myself to do those maybe more, not necessarily controversial topics, but topics that require a little more effort. And, um, so the topic, the topic creation, not, you know, and, and just the executing of what I want to talk about. So the second thing is challenging myself to, uh, really talk about the injustices that I want to see fixed because not everyone agrees. And a lot of the times, when you put yourself out there, you open yourself up to be judged. And so it's like overcoming my own brain of that fear of judgment that I have to overcome almost every week I do the mom show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that sounds ridiculous for someone who is in the public eye, who talks for a living, who shares her opinion for a living. I really struggle with that fear of somebody thinking I'm dumb or someone thinking I don't know what I'm talking about even after I do the research and it's it's frustrating sometimes that I'm still kind of dealing with this issue so I need to do some thought work around it but it is it is challenging myself to overcome my own brain in terms of um fearing what other people might think about that content that I'm putting out there mm I, yeah, I kind of feel the same way about a lot of the podcasts that we post. I'm like, oh, I hope that I do this justice just even by writing the descriptions that we do, like things like that. So, 
You're like mm-hmm. super vulnerable with what you're doing. So I love it's that. hard. It's hard <laughs> to just share out there. It's hard to put yourself out there and yeah, it, it takes some work, it takes mm-hmm. some work. It does. Um, what's the most rewarding thing? What keeps you going back? Other than like you were saying before, the balance of being able to fulfill you as far as motherhood goes, but personally, like what's your reward? What's, why do you keep doing it? Yeah. I think the main reason I keep doing the mom show is because I want to be desperately another, a voice for women who struggle in motherhood. (laughs) And I, I do not want to be another Pollyanna voice that's like, isn't this lovely? Isn't, isn't it wonderful? Like, motherhood has its wonderful moments, don't get me wrong, but it is not all sunshine and roses. And I, I just get, I almost probably overcorrect in a way that they're like, do you even like having children? Because you complain about it an awful lot. <laughs> But I, I just don't want to be another voice that is telling you about what it's supposed to look like. Listen, parenting and mothering, especially in 2020, now 2020, has so many expectations and rules and, and you know, shoulds put on it that I just, I do not want to be another voice telling you what it's supposed to look like. And a lot of times that informs my, my topics about what I pick to talk about because, I'm not just going to sit there and tell you about, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. In fact, I kind of resent that notion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really try to come at it from a place of this is what I struggled with. This is what's hard for me. Um, I, I really want to normalize the conversation around motherhood being challenging so that other women don't suffer the way I did when they find it so hard and they feel like, they're broken for finding it so hard. Mm-hmm. So um, I get a lot of fulfillment out of being a unique voice for motherhood. Yeah. I love that. Um, so let's have you, this is my favorite question. And I love that most of the time it has such a similar answer because really it's about not sitting with yourself and being alone. Um, but on your worst day with your most intrusive thought when you were feeling so alone and broken and dark and all the things, what would you go back and look yourself in the eye and say to yourself, now that you are where you're at now, doing what you're doing, what would you go tell Lindsay? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I would just tell her that this is going to end. It's not, it's not always going to be this way. And I, I think I would tell her she's not going crazy <laughs> because my brain legitimately believed that uh, something was wrong with me and I was I was going crazy and I felt so panicked and anxious that I was like dying in a way. I mean, you just you do feel a physiological response to this anxiety of like, I think I'm dying, <laughs> but you know you're not. And so just giving that woman the light at the end of the tunnel that I couldn't see. And maybe that was part of the perspective that helped me with the second child too, was just knowing that that postpartum period would end. Mm -hmm. Although I'm a year and I'm 13 months postpartum right now and it's still hard. I still have a baby, right? But uh, I'm not in that newborn stage per se. But um, yeah, just, just giving her the perspective that there's light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. is, is 
it, it usually falls on deaf ears when you're in it. And I get that, but hopefully I would believe myself if somebody told it to me yeah. <laughs> at the time. When would you even guess on that day that you'd be where you're at right now? You know what I mean? Helping so many women. Yeah. I mean, no, not really. I, I think, um, I think I, no, that's a good point. I mean, it's hard sometimes to look back when you're in this, that dark spot that you are to look at your present and be like, I have everything right now that I was wishing for then. Mm -hmm. Isn't that so interesting how I just kind of created that in my life and got out of that. And like, I love the, the notion that you have survived 100% of the challenges that you faced, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have gotten yourself out of every single thing you've ever been through because you're still here. Right. And, and that, again, that light at the end of the tunnel concept just kind of gives me a lot of hope. Is there anything else you want the moms to know out there? Um, yeah, I would just say I, I want mothers to know that it is okay to not love motherhood. It is okay to not be fulfilled by motherhood. It is okay to at times even hate being a mom. It does not have to mean that you hate your children. It does not even mean that you don't want them there. It just means that the realities of caring for them is hard and difficult and you can still love your children fiercely and 100% without loving the realities of motherhood. And I wish we could just do away with all these ridiculous expectations of what motherhood is supposed to look like and really get back to the basics of motherhood. And that is, are your kids fed? Are they loved are they clothed do they have a roof over their head are you trying to give them those basic necessities um because that's really what I had to do to heal from all of this was define for myself what it meant to be a good mom I was falling for so long to default of expectations of what I thought everyone else wanted me to be and what society was telling me a good mom was right. And until I clearly defined for myself, like, did you know you get to define what it means to be a good mom? <laughs> like, <laughs> and a lot of times we impose that definition on others, right. In the form of judgment, yes. but, <laughs> but you get to define for yourself what it means to be a good mom. And I really got basic with it, Leslie. I mean, my definition includes like, did I feed her? T- not even did I feed her? Did I offer her food? Because even that simple shift in language is not whether or not she ate, right? Because my kid could go two days without eating, but I offered her food, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did I offer her food? Did I show her love? Did I teach her something? That could be even something so simple as like, did I show her how to be a nice person today just by being nice myself, right? Mm -hmm. Did I, I don't even have to sit down and, you know, read to her, do ABCs. It's more a function of, you know, did I... Did she learn something from me today? Did I teach her something? And again, I have to keep ownership of all of these criteria um, because I'm not in control of how she perceives any of these, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then again, did I show her love? Not did she feel loved, but did I show her love? And that's something that I can control through my thoughts and actions, not something that, um, that she, she can interpret however I show her that love, right? So 
Point being, just getting down to those basics of what it means to be a good mom. Because once you have that clearly defined, everything else will be like, good for her, not for me. Mm -hmm. Right? It just kind of becomes that this is my core, this is my true north, if you will. And everything else can just fall by the wayside that doesn't fit in that definition. I want to just snippet what you just said. And play it to myself every morning. (laughs) You just nailed it. Like, if we would just stop comparing ourselves to each other and judging each other's moms, I don't think there would be this, like, much of an expectation on ourselves. If we just show up for one another and be cool with where we are and support each other and hold each other's babies and do what they used to do and take care of each other, I don't think it would be this way. I know. Don't get me wrong. It creeps in where I'm like, oh, should I be doing more of what Leslie's doing? Because she's really got good kids. And I should probably be I'm pretty much failing my kids right now, aren't I? <laughs> right? Don't get me wrong. I have all of those thoughts, right? But I can always bring them back to that, that definition of like, okay, was I a good mom today? Well, what does it even mean to be a good mom? Mm-hmm. There's no one definition of a good mom. So when you take back the ownership that you get to define it for yourself, that's where you find the joy in motherhood because you stop feeling like a failure all the time because you're meeting your own expectations. Yeah. I I agree. I love that so much. I cannot wait to share that because that's just something everybody needs to hear. It's so yeah. true. Okay, well, Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing with us. And how can we find you on social media, on your yeah, podcast? Yeah, so, yeah, the, wherever you podcast, just search for KSL Moms, and you'll find the mom show there. I am on Instagram, and mainly I exist on Instagram, at uh, KSL Mom Show. And then my personal Instagram, at Lindsay on air, Lindsay spelled with an A. Okay. So, yeah, let's get connected and... I'd love to chat. Okay, awesome. We'll, we'll make sure we put that all in the bio as well. And yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Like, this is just an honor. You're amazing. I seriously have so much respect for what you do and the fact that you take your pain and the things that you've gone through as motivation to heal others. So, yeah, thank you. You're so kind. Ditto, Leslie. Keep doing it. Thank you. I will. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.